We've been talking about building, building. We're in the process of building now. We, we did some sermons on preparing to build. And then last week we talked about building. We talked about what it takes to build. Today I want to talk about being fully committed. We've looked at this verse, this passage in Scripture in Isaiah, and it says, And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Our society is breaking down. Everywhere it's breaking down. In the West, individualism is destroying any sense of corporal group togetherness. The only thing that's holding people together now is sports, clubs type thing that, that they have something in common. But the family unit, which is the backbone of our community, is busted. It's breaking up and it's being broken every week. This year, 50,000 children will go through a broken home situation, a a divorce situation. Every year for the last 10 years, 50,000 young people have suffered through a divorce situation. Terrible. The, The longitudinal studies that are coming back now to us after about 25 years of studying show us that the legacy of divorce is actually fractured so badly in the lives of those children who've gone through divorces that they, they themselves won't have children and they themselves will refuse to commit to a marriage situation unless um, less than 10% will find themselves in a, in, a, in a marriage situation that is lasting. It's a terrible, terrible legacy with regard to divorce. It's terrible when you think about it. And the breakdown in our communities is enormous. We break down things like marriage and, and, and social gets-together church. We live like in this flat place here. We live like individuals in a, in a room together. We really never really know each other, never really commit to one another, never really feel like we are connected to one another. And this is really sad because the heart of God is about establishing a kingdom. It's about establishing a village. It's about establishing a people who are connected, who are family, who are one blood in him, who are a family and brothers and sisters in the faith. And God is calling us as a people to stand up and to make a difference, to stand up and to rebuild the ancient ruin. What's the ancient ruin? The ancient ruin is the body of Christ to build it up and to to be what God wants us to be as a family together, which means that when we come together, there is just one man in this room, and that one man has many faces. That one man is the man born by the Spirit of God, and it comes from every tribe and every nation. That one man is a man that's bought by the blood of Jesus, that lives life by the Holy Spirit, and that walks in him. That one man is you and me. We are one in Jesus. Amen? And it's time for us to actually understand that this can't just be something in our head that's fantasy. It can't be something in our minds that is going to be something that we will... It is something that is happening right here and right now. There are people coming into this fellowship now who are coming from extremely broken situations. People who are finding it really difficult to trust people. People who have been in broken homes and broken families all their lives. People who have been abused. People who have been busted. People who don't know what trust looks like. And it's time for us to stand up and be trustworthy to present a place and a people where we can be a people who can be trusted, a safe place for people to heal, somewhere we can put down our roots and grow into a family that God wants us to be. Christmas shouldn't be a place of aloneness. Christmas shouldn't be a time when we are struggling and isolate ourselves in our own little groups. Christmas should be a time when we stretch our arms and open our arms to those around and say, come, we have a family here. Let's celebrate together as a family. Amen. You know, we have a choice. We can get bitter 
about what's happening in our society. We can look at what's happening in society and say, this is terrible, this is horrible, this is shocking, this is going to be worse than our society. As it breaks down, there's going to be anarchy. People will be fighting people. People will be uh, killing and hurting people because they just hate one another. Or we can sit here and then we can say, okay, we can be part of a solution. And the solution can start in our lives, in our own lives. You know, the devil doesn't want that to happen. The devil doesn't want us to feel like we can be together. So he will actually put stuff in your head that will make you feel like you want to be angry at somebody else within the fellowship. He'll actually put something in your mind that says, you know, you can't trust people in this fellowship. He'll put it in there and he'll make you feel in your heart like there's a heavy weight on the inside of that. Do you know what? That's how he does it. That's how he breaks it up. We've got to be committed to one another in such a way that when we feel that thing on the inside that makes us feel like we've got a heavy heart, that we get rid of it so that we can be part of the solution. If the devil can break this up, he will try and break us up. But he won't break us up from the outside because if he breaks us up from the outside, we know that we'll gather together and we'll be strong to the, to the enemy that's trying to come in through the doors. He comes in and he sits inside our heart and he tries to break it up from the inside out. He tries to turn Don against his wife and his wife against Don. He tries to break up the married relationship so that breaks up. And when that breaks up, then that sort of splinters off and it hurts somebody over here. And then that breaks up over there and that hurts over here and it hurts this person over here. So you wonder why you sometimes go through hard times in your marriage. You sometimes wonder why you go through hard times in situations at home. You wonder why it is so difficult to be a Christian and to walk this walk and be committed in this walk as a one family. You know why it's so hard? Because the devil's inside and he's trying to break it up. But we've got to be committed to stay together because if we stay together, we will rebuild the ancient ruins. We will provide a place where people can settle and put down their roots and grow and flourish to trees of righteousness in Christ. We have to make a decision to be committed to that calling. You know, I think God is working in us to do that. I think God is changing our hearts so that we can do that. Builders in Australia, before they start building, they have to show that they are completely committed to a task. So that if you employ a builder, if you employed me to build your house, you could say, oh, Mark, will you come and put an extension on my place? I'd say, oh, well, maybe I will. Uh, uh, let me think about it. And say, you know, we don't have to worry about any contracts or anything like that. It's just between you and me. Now, that's against the law. In Australia, you can't actually do that. In Australia, you actually have to write a piece of paper out and you have to write a contract. You can't actually do a job for somebody just between each other. It's crazy. And why is that? Because too many people in Australia, when they start a job, they might start building your house or start putting the renovation on your house and then they say, you know what, I don't have enough money. So I'm going to stop now and walk away. And the government says, well, that's not right. You took some of their money to start the job. You should finish the job. You've taken their money to build it and now you're not finishing it. Well, you need to finish that job. And so to make sure that people are kept safe, in Australia we write contracts. So if I were to build a house at your place, you would write a con I would write a contract and it would be about that thick and then we'd sign every page together and in that contract there would be all these boundaries that says I can't run away with your money and then I can take your money and not build and you have some security that if I start to do the wrong thing, you have some security whereby I can be fixed up. That's a contract. The people who work for me, like if I ask Graham to come and work for me, he's meant to have a contract with me to protect me against him and him against me because that's the way it is. 
Because the government says, we want you to be completely committed to finish the job. In a sense, God wants us to be committed to, and he writes a contract with us in the blood of Jesus. And that's where our contract is. He made a contract with us and said, I'll make a contract with you, a new covenant with you. If you walk with me and my spirit is in you, then you will complete the job. I will help you complete the job. And that was the sort of the contract that he has. But we have to be committed to him. Now, Noah was fully committed. We know that Noah was fully committed because by faith, Noah being warned of God of things that not yet seen, he was moved with fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his family. We know that he actually got it done because we're still here today. We're part of Noah's family. He was committed to the task and over a hundred years he started building the boat. When he was started building it, his sons were just born. If you looked at the age of his sons, some of them were just been young, very young when he started building because they were over a hundred years when he finished and it was just, he, was, he took a hundred years to build it. So he's committed through the whole of that time to build this enormous boat for the saving of souls. Abraham was fully committed. Abraham was the father of all the Jews and by faith Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So he's committed. It's like I say, okay Martin, let's go somewhere. And you'll, Martin might say, well where are we going, Pastor Mark? Where are we going? And I said, don't worry about it. You just come with me. We're going to go there. Now she would have to show some sort of level of trust and faith that I wasn't going to take it down a bad Bad, bad place of town. She'd have to express some sort of level of trust that I'm going to... And then she'd have to commit. If I said it's going to take the rest of your life, she'd have to commit to that, wouldn't she? Well, that's exactly what God did to, to Abraham. Abraham said, come with me. I'm going to take you a place and you're going to receive it as your inheritance. And, and Abraham got up. He was committed. He packed up his goods. When his father-in-law died... He and his, and, his, and his family and their uncle, they moved out and started going towards the place that God had said he was going to promise them. They were completely committed to it. They never went back to where they came from. You know, the men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, were all men and women of faith and they were all committed to the task. The scripture says these words, it says, all these died in faith not having received the promise. You know what that means? It means they, they worked all their lives to do and to get something that God had promised and they never received it they died believing that it was coming but they never received it they were committed to the time they died even though it never came to them even though they never got it they stayed and committed to it until they died he says but having seen them from afar off they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the land so they said you know although we haven't got it here now in our mind's eye, we can see it by faith and we are just going for it. Even if we don't ever get there, at least we're on the way to it. That's how strong they were in their commitment. For they, they say, it says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they had came from, they might have had opportunity to return. So if they were thinking, you know, we've been walking in this walk for at least 95 years, Abraham could have said, and I, and I still haven't found this place. I'm going back to where I come from, the era of Chaldees. No. He was fully committed to where he was going and going back to where he came from wasn't even in his language. You know, when we start this walk with God, one of the things the devil will say to you is, you know, this is too hard. How many people see, feel that sometimes the Christian life is just too hard? Put your hand right up high when you think it's too hard. Put it up. How many people think that 
being faithful and doing the right thing all the time, sometimes it's just too hard. Put your hand up if that's okay. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes you feel on the inside the pressure and the weight to do the wrong thing is much stronger than the pressure and the weight to do the right thing. In fact, the right voice says, do the right thing. And the, and the bad voice says, do the bad thing. And that's like it feels like that's what it is. And, and you've got to actually resist the bad thing, which is really booming at you, to do the right thing, which is a little voice of this way. And so it becomes really heavy for us. And we feel like it's like too heavy. You know, if you are not committed to go on at those times where the weight is against you, you will return to where you come from. And that's the problem. That's the real problem. You see, when we look, when God looks at the lack of commitment, he is not impressed. God is not impressed by the lack of commitment. And Hebrews says, we are not of those who draw back or shrink away. Like we start something and then, you know, we, we fall away from it. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, Seth, it says, has a son. Now, if you remember, um, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and Cain slew Abel. And so there was Cain, and then God gave um, Adam and Eve another son. His name was Seth. He was the son to replace the godly son, Cain. And at this time, Seth, he says, Seth also had the son and he named him Enos. So this is the grandson of Adam, Enos. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So when Enos was a boy, the man and the, there was the godly seed and the ungodly seed. We know that the ungodly seed was Cain and his children. And we know that the godly seed was Seth and Enos and his children. And at that time, they used to seek the Lord. They believed in God. They would passionately seek God. They had a relationship with God. Right back then, at the very beginning, they had a relationship with God. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, when it talks about the genealogy of Jesus, and it's going back through the genealogy back to Adam, he says this in verse 38, he says, which was the son of Enos. He's going through this list of people. So-and-so was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And so he's actually telling it that these men, this godly line, were believers in God. They were sons of God. Much like the scripture tells us that we are sons of God. If you have faith in Jesus and believe in him, you'll be called a son of God. You're the son of God. You've got a godly seed inside of you. It's like the seed, the Holy Spirit of God rests and abides within you. You are no longer ungodly seed. You are godly seed. Everybody say, I am godly seed. Tell me like you convinced me. Convince me of it. I am godly seed. That means Jesus lives inside of you and you are good and not bad. You are godly seed. You see, but what happened in Genesis chapter 6, there was a shift that took place. A lack of commitment in the godly seed. We read these words. It says, And men began to increase when the men began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God. They were the ones who believed in God, saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. And the very next thing that that the Lord said is, he says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120. And what he's saying there is, look, these guys have lost their focus. They're no longer committed fully to me because they've married women who are not godly. The men who are godly men married women who were not godly. And there was a corruption and, he's, and God just said, you know, it's going to end. 
And we're told here, he says, the giants were on the earth in those days and afterward. So there were these great, huge men that were nine foot tall like Goliath. They were giants in the land. He says, and they were there on the earth. And then afterwards, when the sons of God, so they were there before the sons of God married the daughters of men, these giants. So they, and remember, they lived for a long time, these guys. They lived a long time. So these guys were big and they lived a long time and they used to be men of great renown, men of great wisdom. Uh, not so good wisdom because they were ungodly. The, 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 they were ungodly seed, these giants, you know. And we know that the giant seed was in the seeds of Noah because Noah and his sons were born. And when the flood wiped out everybody else, those sons went out into the community and bred. And we, then we have like Goliath and the sons of Anak and those things. There we have the, the, the giants back again because they were in the seed. They were in the, they were in the DNA. It says the giants were on the earth in those days and then also afterwards when the sons of God, those who believed, went into the daughters of men and had children by them and they were heroes. That was the giants were heroes of the men of renown. But God's not happy with it. There's a corruption taking place. There's a lack of commitment taking place. And so he's not happy with it. When God sees a lack of commitment, he's not impressed. And when he saw the sons of God, the believers, getting together with the non-believers, he was displeased and God said to that man... To man, he also he said, my spirit will not always dwell with the flesh because he is flesh. So this idea of being fully commitment, when you're not fully committed, the Bible says in Proverbs, he says, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. He says, a dog returns to its vomit like a fool repeats his folly. So once you're out of a situation and you're coming out of the world, Jesus says, stay out of the world. Stay away from the things of the world. It doesn't mean that you stay away from the people that you are uh, reaching out. But don't do the things that the world is doing. You have to change the way you think. In Second Peter, uh, Peter uses the same idea. He says, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing the, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off than at the end of those who are at the beginning. He says, so if you then give your life to Jesus and you walk away from the world and you know Jesus now, and then you decide, you know, this is pretty boring doing the Jesus thing. I, you know, I'm going to go back into the world. I'm going to start drinking and smoking and doing all those things. He says, this is really bad. It's going to be worse for you than it was in the beginning. He says, it would be, have been better for you to not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their back into, on the sacred commandment that was passed on to them. And then he says, and he repeats this proverb, he says, and of them the proverb is true, a dog returns to a vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to its swallowing in the mud. Here's a case of lack of commitment. You see, you need to have commitment if you're going to press through in this walk with Jesus. It needs to have strength. Strength that you get from Jesus to do this thing. The temptation will always be to go back. As the children walk through the wilderness, the temptation was always to go back to Egypt. But God is calling you on to a promised land and you have to have a commitment to keep on going. In Numbers chapter 14 verse 24, um, when they were talking about the children of Israel, there was only two men that went into the children of Israel. After all of those two million people that came out of Egypt and went, the, went towards the promised land, when Jesus uh, delivered them through the, to the Red Sea and gave them water and, and, and quails to eat and they walked through following the, the fire by night and the cloud by day and they got to the, to the promised lands. When they got to the promised lands, God discovered the lack of commitment that was in their lives. They sent in 10, 10 spies, they come back. 12 spies, they came back. 10 of the spies told them that there's giants in the land. 
There's people in the land that are bigger than you and I are, and we're going to be really scared. They'll lead us up. We're like grasshoppers, it said. And it caused all the people to waver in their faith. They were uncommitted. And then they got really angry with Moses and told Moses that, you know, we're going to go back to Egypt. They weren't committed to keep on going. Now, there was only two men, two spies that came back, and that was Caleb and Joshua. And they said, you know, we are well able to do this. You've got to have commitment at this point of time. You've come all this way. God's shown his faithfulness all this way. God delivered you through the Red Sea. Imagine seeing that. God opened the, 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 the rock and the water gushed out and you drank. God gave you meat in the, in the daytime. He gave you breakfast in the morning. He looked after you every day. He was there. He supplied all of your needs. You've got to keep on going with God. You've got to stay committed. You've got to keep on going. Come on, we can do this. God is with us. And they were determined to turn around and go away. And instead of Caleb, he says, and because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly. Everybody say wholeheartedly. That means committed. He was really committed with all of his heart. He says, I will bring him into the land and he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So he said, you know, God said, you know, Caleb, you were wholehearted in this. You were committed. So I'll bring you in. God will not bring you in unless you're committed. You can't get the passport to get in without the commitment. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 11, it says, Because they were not allowed, uh, sorry, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men 20 years old and more who came up from Egypt will see the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So anybody who was 20 years and older that was still hanging around when they when they when they first. So if you're 20 years and older and you went there and you said, No, nah, I'm not going to do this, you, did, you went to wander around in the wilderness for another 40 years until you died and your children went into the promised land, not you. Why? It says, they did not follow me wholeheartedly. There was no commitment there. So God's looking for commitment. He's looking for a strength of commitment. So when they came to the promised land and they're starting to walk into the promised land, here's this problem, this problem of, Connecting with the old stuff again. Going back to the old stuff again. So now all the children are coming into the promised land. And Joshua says to the children in Deuteronomy, Neither shall you make marriages with them. Talking about the, the people who are living in the, in the land. The Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Vegemites. You're not allowed to have anything to do with these people. Don't let your sons marry the daughters. Don't let the daughters marry your sons. Just don't have anything to do with the people who are living in the land. You must stay single you must have no treaty with them do not connect with them if you connect to them it says they will turn away your sons from following me and they will serve other gods so that the anger of the lord will be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly you cannot compromise your walk and mix it don't mix it now this is the problem that started back in genesis with the sons of God mixed it with the daughters of men. And God says, I, can't, I cannot stay there any longer. I'm not going to contend with these people because they corrupted themselves. So you come into the, the, the new land and, and God says exactly the same things to the, to the godly seed, the Israelites again. He says, you coming into the promised land, don't mix it with the ungodly. 
Again, in the second book of Corinthians, the New Testament tells us exactly the same thing. It's like a theme that started way back in the book of Genesis, is repeated to the children of Israel, and now it's repeated to the church. Paul repeats it again. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. He's talking about forming a marriage or getting involved in a business or anything like that. Don't be connected together some way with an unbeliever. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what, does the, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? He said, don't mix it with people who are unbelievers. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Now, it is not saying here that you can't mix with unsaved people. It is not saying here that you can't have um, a relationship with people who are not saved. What it's saying here, you shouldn't connect with unsaved people. Now, some of you have unsaved par- uh, partners. And look, you're brought into the kingdom of God and your partner is unsaved. That's okay. It's not saying that you need to divorce your unsaved per- person. You have to keep believing and keep pressing on there because by your righteous life, then there's a covering over your children and a covering over the whole family. So he's not actually saying that you separate if you are uh, connected with an unsaved person. What he's saying to you, don't initiate a relationship with somebody who is not saved because there's no commonality there. And then Paul goes on to actually talk about it a little bit more clearly. He says in verse, uh, he says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since therefore, and this is in chapter 7, since we have these promises, dear friend, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, you can take the man out of Egypt, but you've got to take the Egypt out of the man. You can take a person out of the world, but you've got to take the worldliness out of your heart. You've got to take the bad out of your heart and be fully committed to God and not allow bad attitudes and bad ideas and bad thoughts that come from the world to be part of your life. You have to perfect holiness, fully separated and set apart for God, which means this way, you know, I don't walk through life and saying, you know, well, you know, I know it's wrong for some people to watch that sort of stuff, but I'm going to watch that anyway and I'll just get over it and I'll live my life sort of half-hearted for God. I won't be hot and I won't be cold. I'll just be lukewarm in the middle. This is what it's talking about. It's speaking about this attitude that you think that you can play a little bit with the world and a little bit with God and you can just walk this sort of halfway road. No, he says, you let the leave the old and start with the new. If you're starting you and your Christian faith and your friends come over and say, why don't you come down and have a drink with us? Why don't you come down and take some of this funny weed and smoke it with us? Why don't you come down and play this little game with us? Why don't you come down and do this? You used to do that. Why don't you do it? And you think, oh, maybe once one heard. Maybe I'll just go to that party one more time god says don't do that don't go back to the vomit come out from amongst them be separate from them this is the thing he warned in genesis this is the thing he he judged the the children of israel for this is the thing he warned the children of israel not to do when he went into the promised land and this is the thing he now repeats in the new testament to us be holy for i am holy separate yourself from worldliness 
If the world listens to that, don't you listen to that. If the world watches that, don't you watch that. If the world goes there, don't you go there. If you're going to go there, then go there to bring them out of that place and bring them to Jesus. You be there and you reach them. If you're not there to reach them, Paul says, how will they get saved? He said, but it shouldn't be in you. It should be outside of you. God wants you to be committed to him. And he's looking at your heart, looking for full commitment. You know, God will do what he has to do with us when we are fully committed to him. When we sit down and say, Lord, there is nothing else. You are my all. I have nothing else. You are my portion. You are my provider. You are all that I have. I have nothing else. You are it. When we are that fully committed, God says, you know what? We can do something now. Because God won't share his glory with anybody. If you start saying, well, I just learned this little lesson over here and it's about self-image and stuff like that and I'll do this and then we can all be, you know. God says, you don't need self-image. That's worldly junk. You need to know who you are in Christ. That's a different thing. You don't need to be worldly wise. You need to be God wise. So Jesus is looking for a complete commitment. So Israel, when it comes into the promised land and, and they, t- they do some mighty things, you know, the walls of Jericho fall down and, and God delivers them and, and shows them his great love and kindness and he gives Caleb his land and his inheritance. They all that, and then after a little while, guess what Israel does? It forgets. Israel forgets God and is not committed completely to God and begins to sin. It begins to sin by worshipping idols, the Asherah poles, all the different things that the Canaanites would worship. They would worship them. And then God would say, well, you, you are not fully committed to me, so now I'm going to punish you. Well, a good father would always punish a son that is going astray. And so he would punish them. And, he, and in one instance in the book of Judges, he punishes the, the children of Israel, by sending a, a people called the Midianites to oppress them. So every time it came harvest time, in, in Judges chapter 6, it says every time it came harvest time um, for the children of Israel and they, they, they did all their harvesting and they got all their crops there, then the camels and the troops from the Midian forces on, from the east would come in and they would plunder, take up all their things. They would trample down all the crops. They would take all their goods. They would never... So it got so bad that they were, the Israelites were hiding their grain in caves in the hills. They were hiding everything they, they grew. They would hide it away so they could just survive. And they began to cry out to God and say, God, have you forgotten us? Oh, the problem wasn't that God had forgotten them. They had forgotten God. And it took them seven years to come around and say, you know, this hardship that is coming upon our life is because we've gone back to worshipping idols. And so Gideon was there and he was threshing out in the, in the mountains some grain and, and trying to hide it away. And, and an angel appeared to him and said, Gideon, I want you to deliver Israel. Now their prayers have come up before me and I'm going to, you're the man who's going to deliver Israel. Now Gideon said, I, I'm of the least tribe. I'm, of the, I'm the youngest of that tribe. He says, I'm the least person to do this. Now show me a sign. Show me a sign that, that this will be a case. And so he ran off and he got a goat and he got some, uh, made some bread, some unleavened bread and he put some soup there with it on the rock. You know, and the angel touched it with the thing and the, it disappeared. 
get in. Well, that, that's kind of impressive. Maybe there's something in this, you know? And so he, God continues to talk to him about here. He wants to deliver him. He's going to deliver Israel in his hands. He says, I need another sign. So he puts the sheepskin down and says, make the sheepskin wet and the ground dry. And the next morning he gets up and the sheepskin is wet and the ground is dry. He says, that's pretty good. He says, now do the opposite. Don't be angry with me, God. I just want to know that you're going to do this thing through me. Because I, He says, do the opposite. He said, make the, the sheepskin dry and the ground wet. And the, in the morning he got up and the sheepskin was dry and the ground was wet. So Gideon says, that's pretty amazing. I'm accepting that. That God, you're going to do something. You're going to use me to deliver Israel. The Bible tells us that the Midians were so many of them that their number was without, you couldn't count their number. And there were camels with so many of them. There was a huge number. Thousands and thousands of these people would just come in on droves. I mean, free lunch next door. Let's go. Get it. Let's go away now after we've got it. So anyway, the Midians are rising up now and they're coming in. They can camp now and Israel is hiding and scared because the Midians are there. Gideon starts to blow a trumpet and he starts saying, come on now, let's get going. He raises 32,000 people, 32,000 men with swords come ready to fight with Gideon. And God says to Gideon, there's too many people to deliver you from the hands of the Midian. You can work that. I mean, the, the idea is you get more than them and then you can beat them. And then God says, no, no, not, not in my way of thinking. The, my way of thinking is we don't need more uncommitted people to sit in the place. We need committed people. So he says to Gideon, he says, you can't look at this army. And he says, say to the army, all those who are shaking with fear. Why would you be shaking with fear? Because you're scared. You're not really committed to this task. We need men who are not fearful to go in and do this. So the guys who are fearful are not committed. He says, all those who are shaking with fear, you can go home now. 22,000 people left Gideon. He's left with 10,000 men now. And with these hordes of Midian sitting down there, camels without numbers, number, the Bible says, there was a sea of tents sitting down there ready to take over Israel. He's only got 10,000 men. And God says, there are still too many people to overcome the Midianites. Too many. He says, get in, you take these 10,000 people, you take them down to the spring. He says, and I'll tell you which ones to pick and which ones to send home. And as they go down there, they go down there and some, they get on their knees and some put their face straight into the water and guggle the water up through their lips out of the water like that. And others get on their knees and then they... Drink with their hand like that, looking around, making sure that they've got their eye on things, you know. He says, now send all the ones home that put their face in the water. Send them home. Are you sure you've got the right end? Gideon, send them home. All right, you're the boss. 9,700 9, men went home because they put their face in the water. He had 300 left. 300 left. A horde of Midians in front of them. Thousands and thousands and thousands of men in front of them. He has 300 men left. Gideon's sort of standing there. Wow, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) 300. Look at the crowd out there. 
I mean, 32,000, we had half a chance. 10,000, it would have been a, a miracle. 300? 300? So God says to God says to Gideon, look, I want you and your mate to go down and to go down to a tent that I'm going to, t- the tents of the Midian. So in the middle of the night, they sneak out these two bods and they go down there to where our tent is. And they're sitting there and just as they got there, one Midianite was telling another Midianite about a dream he'd just had. He says, I was sitting and I had this terrible dream last night. He says, there's a barley loaf of bread come rolling down. You know, dreams are crazy like that, hey. A barley loaf of bread, a big barley loaf of bread's come rolling down the hill and it hit the tent and boom, the tent fell over. Can you just imagine the guy who had that dream? What were you drinking? <laughs> Before you went to bed, what were you watching on TV? You know, a barley loaf of bread rolling down the hill and hits you. You know, the other guy sits there. I got the interpretation for the dream. The guy said, I'm glad you have because as far as I'm concerning, it's all a bit doughy to me. So, (laughs) he says, the barley loaf of bread is Gideon and his army. See, they knew about Gideon. They'd heard about it. They'd heard that Gideon had mustered up an army. And they were there for a blue, so they knew their opposition was there. He says, this is the Israelites, and they're going to destroy us. You can just see Gideon. He's got that. God actually let him see that. Did did you hear that? Did you hear that? I was right there, and he said, you hear what he said? God's going to destroy. So he goes out, and he says, he gives them a lamp. And a trumpet in a vase. Now, come on. Gideon, we want some bow and arrows. We want some spears, some riding horses. We've got to get in there and get amongst them. And he says, no, I'll give you a trumpet. I'll give you a lamp and I'll put you a, 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 a vase over the top of the lamp so they can't see it. You, are you serious, Gideon? What? He says, God told us that he's going to do the victory and that we're going to watch it. And then he told them to circle the tent. 300 of them. Go around up the top of the mountains because they're in a valley. He says, on the top of the mountains, take your position. And then when you see me do what I do, he says, you do it too. And at a spot in the middle of the night, Gideon lifted up his trumpet. Blew it out like that, and all around the hill, all around the hill, and everybody was woken up out of their sleep. All they could hear was this blasting trumpet sound all around them, and then bang as they broke the vessel, and then the lights showing up there like that. They held it up like that, a light, all around them. Now, if the Midians had just stayed still and watched, they would have thought, "What's that?" Oh, you've got to be joking. But you know what God did? God did something in the enemy's heart. He made them so scared that they thought that Midian was coming to get them. Now, if you think about the Midian army, it was so big, they probably didn't know each other real well. So they come bowling out the tent with the sword on, with no army, just with their lap lap on or whatever they've got around their waist because they've been sleeping and the next person who's come bowling towards them is a guy with a sword as well what do you do 
kill him. He's obviously the enemy. So they started to hack each other to death and thousands and thousands of them killed each other right in front of Gideon. He said, hey, look at them go. They destroyed each other. And then they started a bolt. They said, let's get out of here. And Gideon said, okay, get the swords. Now we've got to chase them. And they chased them and they chased them and they chased them and they chased them. You know what God does? God doesn't need a huge number of people. He just needs a few committed ones. A few committed ones who are committed not to question, who are committed to do something so foolish as just to trust and obey. That's all God needs, a few committed people. He started a church that still runs today, which is part of this church in the very beginning when he had 120 people, just probably much like this number we've got here today, sitting, praying and believing. He says, all I need is some committed ones. I can change the world. How committed are you? Oh, what the devil says to you is, come on, come back this way. Build a treaty with somebody from the world. You know, you don't want to be overly righteous. You don't want to be too good. You want to just sort of walk a halfway line. God is not impressed with that mentality. In Chronicles, it says this. So the Lord God of Israel, there is no one like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. God will keep his covenant of love with us if we continue wholeheartedly following him. If we stay committed to him, he will be faithful to us. If we stay true to him, he will not let us fall. You have to maintain your commitment. You have to maintain your commitment, your wholeheartedness to Jesus. I want you to read this passage of scripture. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourself to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Then he says, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. What he's saying to you there is, is you've got some choices to make. You can be like the sons of God who marry the daughters of men in Genesis and mix it up. And God will not stay with you. You can be like the children of Israel who didn't have the conviction to go all the way through. Even though the obstacles were big, didn't have the faith to go all the way through. And God will not be pleased with you. When you come into a new place and you're walking now with new people and the challenges that face you, you can corrupt your heart and mix yourself with the world out there and God will not be pleased with you. Or you can be a slave to God. You can be a slave to righteousness and God will be your protector and God will be your provider and God will be your empowerer. And God will be your savior. God will provide everything that you have and everything that you need for life and godliness. But what he's looking, what he's looking for in your heart, what he's looking for is one who's wholly committed to him. Now, I know when the stress of life comes on you, it's easy to get distracted. And the devil does that every day. Louise was at our place Last week, 
we're having a youth night. And she backed out of the driveway and she backed her car straight into Emily's car. Boof, like that. What a distraction. I mean, it's those sort of things that kind of confuse us. We think, look, I'm trying so hard to follow you, to be faithful. Why is it that the trouble starts hitting me now and it becomes so heavy? Well, that's, that's the devil saying, you know, you know, I can distract her. God, you know, if you let me take some rain here and distract her while she's backing out of her driveway, then she will get so depressed, she'll probably throw the whole thing in. Or Emily will get so cross that she'll probably, I can't give this up. You know, people bringing my car, you know. He's just trying really every which way he can. Now, you've got to think this one through. If the devil can find a way to get you to unsettle yourself in God, do you think he's going to step back and say, oh, at least leave him alone, they're God's people? The Bible teaches us that we wrestle against, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities of power. And our devil, he's walking around like a lion looking for who he can devour. He's looking at every which way. He says, but you resist him. Standing firm in the faith. There's got to be some resistance inside of you. Amen? God wants to have some resistance inside of us. You might have been emotionally tested this week. You might have been distracted this week. You might have had a whole lot of stuff come into your head this week. It would be okay if I could stop thinking about those things, Mark. I know. I'm like you. But God is calling us to have a heart of full commitment to him he is so desirous to rebuild a ruined city he is more desirous to you to build a people of power and of might who can achieve great things but you know what he needs he needs those who are fully committed wholeheartedly committed who will walk with him and do what he says amen let's pray let's stand together Just as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to respond to the Lord now. If you were distracted this week, sorely distracted, and you feel like you, when you walked into church today, you, it was like your head was somewhere else rather than being in the presence of Jesus today. You were so distracted when you came here today. I want you to raise your hand. If that was what was happening in your head. Yeah. yeah the devil does that, you know. He, he just doesn't want you to get... And the, the distractions all to start working on you to move you out. I want you to just ask the Lord to strengthen your commitment today. Strengthen your focus on him. Pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I recognize that in my life, I can be distracted. Lord, help me to focus in on your word on a daily basis. To strengthen myself in your grace. Give me the ability to set my mind on you and your ways. And to put off all the old things. I ask you to help me, Holy Spirit. Today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day so that I can be fully committed to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you.